Well, good morning again. I wanted to say welcome again now, not only to those of you who are here in the contemporary service, but also to those of you who are joining us in the traditional sanctuary right now. I'm just glad that we can all be together as one church family and learn from God's word together. Yeah, I, I heard it was going to snow today. Did you guys hear that? Is it supposed to snow? It's getting deep out there, isn't it? Anybody else looking forward to spending some quality time on the business end of a snow shovel this afternoon? That should be, that should be fun. You know, we are talking today about this, this topic of waiting for God's guidance in our lives. And as I was thinking about that, it reminded me of this experience that my wife Amy and I had. The first year that we were married, it was the year right as I was in my last year of seminary before I graduated. And we, uh, we met this couple and kind of became friends with them. Their names were Greg and Kylie. And they were from Australia. And they had moved here just that year. And the whole winter snow thing was quite a new experience for them, too. I think they thought they were going to die the first time it got really cold. And fortunately, they made it. But uh, we were going out with them one night. We were going out to dinner. We decided to go down to the, to the Green Mill restaurant in St. Paul that's on the corner of Hamlin and Grand. And uh, they didn't know where they were going, you know, so we kind of told them the directions. But we also said, just follow us, you know, we'll drive our car and you guys drive and we'll just, we'll make it down there, it'll be fine. So we start driving down there and from where we lived, we had to get on Highway 280 over in St. Paul and then you just jump on 94 for a few miles and you know, go over to Snelling and pretty soon you're just about there. So we get on Highway 280 and they're behind us and I get to the end of the entrance ramp and I look in the rearview mirror and they're like this speck way back there in the distance, you know, and I'm like, man, I lost them already, I better be careful, you know, I want to... People are in a new country, you got to help them out a little bit, you know, so slow way down and kind of reel them in a little bit, and pretty soon we're making that left turn, <coughs> excuse me, making that left turn on the Interstate 94, and I look back again once we're on 94, and there's a speck way back there in the distance, you know, and so I slow way down and reel them in a little bit, and finally, three days later, we get down to the Green Mill, you know, and <laughs> we get down to the restaurant, and uh, we go inside, and I found out what the problem was. Greg explained to me that he had, have you seen that sign on the side of the road with the two fives on it? You never knew what that was for, Right? Like, speed limit? Yeah. They thought you had to do that. Like, they didn't understand. That was a guideline for bad weather, and your car is broken. Then you drive 55. They just thought you were supposed to do that. In fact, uh, Greg said to me, he said, you know, I've heard your country has a problem with the national debt. I know how you can fix that. Just start giving speeding tickets out. You're going to solve the whole problem. You know, 10, 10, 12 years later, we could send them to Washington. Maybe you got something figured out now. I thought about that story because of the way Greg and Kylie had moved into this new place, into a new country, a new culture. People have different expectations and priorities and different values in many ways. And while there were some things that were around to help them know what to do, sometimes those were a little confusing to them. And, and they needed some additional guidance to figure out the customs in a, in a new place. I was thinking about that story because when I think about the way that God guides us, I'm reminded that the Bible describes Christians. It describes disciples of Jesus as people that God has brought from one place to another, from, from one culture to another, if you will. And I'm always a little bit hesitant to use that language because sometimes Christians do make too much of a subculture. You know, we only uh, just use certain language nobody else understands. We hang out with each other. We don't communicate with the outside world. But it is true that we live with a different storied imagination. We, have a, we understand ourselves to have a different future and a destiny and a hope. And we live according to different priorities and values, sacrifice and generosity and love. And these are things that are on the top line for Christians and not always so outside of the Christian world. And so God has brought us into this new place. And sometimes we find ourselves, well, it can be a little bit confusing knowing what God wants for us now. What does God want from us? How is God guiding us in our lives? What I'd like to do in the time we have together this morning is to look at some stories from the Bible, some passages from the Bible that can paint us a picture for that and hopefully help us understand how, as we're waiting for God's guidance, how we can hear God's guidance in our lives and, and hopefully begin to follow it. I think the, the first example of this in the Bible, or the place where the story starts actually, is in the Old Testament where God had given his people a, a fairly thorough law to guide their lives. And 
And the point in the Bible where this happens is uh, back at the time around the Exodus. And a couple weeks ago, we talked about the Exodus actually here in our worship services. This is the story where God rescued his people Israel that he had made a covenant with and promised to be faithful to them and through them to, to bear witness to the whole world. And they were in Egypt. They were enslaved in Egypt. And God was a liberator. He came down and he rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt. And he led them out toward the promised land across the wilderness. But that meant that they had been taken from one life to another, from one place to another. And they had to figure out, how, how am I going to live now? Because in Egypt, there were Egyptian laws. And there was an Egyptian king. And there was a, there was a culture and customs. This is a whole new thing. Who, are, who am I? Who are we? How will we live now? And this is the context. This is the part of the big God story of the Bible where God gave his law to his people. And this is where God called a, a leader named Moses up on top of a mount called Sinai, and he, and he gave them the Ten Commandments and, and a whole bunch of other commandments, actually, that are much less famous than that. And this law was meant to guide God's people in a way of life in, in a new place or a, a new culture, if you will, a new place in life. And a lot of times when we think about the Old Testament law, we start to think of it in kind of negative terms. We, we think about something that's kind of nitpicky or antiquated, maybe legalistic, maybe oppressive. We think, man, I'm so glad that we're not there anymore. But I got to tell you that that's not how the Israelites felt about their own law. I mean, they loved their law. They thought this was a wonderful thing. It was a gift. It was a delight to them. They were proud of it. I want to just read you one Bible passage to give you an example of that. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn with me. It's uh, Psalm 119. Uh, if you have one of the Quest Bibles here in our worship services, it's page 878. This is actually, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the whole Bible. It's got 176 verses. I'm going to read you all of them right now. Um, it's not true. But this is true, that almost every one of those 176 verses in Psalm 119 uses some word, and usually more than once, to refer to God's law. It's a whole long poem or song about how great God's law is. And I just want to read you a couple verses. Uh, Psalm 119, starting in verse 14. I rejoice in following your statutes. There's one of those words. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. Right? I love your law more than Powerball. Right? I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. I love your law. The Israelites loved God's law. And I could give you literally hundreds more examples of passages like that, not only from Psalm 119, but also from the rest of the Old Testament. But there are some things that also add some more dimension to that picture. They might complicate the picture a little bit. And one of those things is that while God gave the Israelites many commandments, they didn't cover everything. There were things that were still open to them, and they were trying to figure out, well, how does God want me to do that? They were looking for additional guidance. And so the ancient Jewish teachers, uh, you, they, were, they came to be called rabbis, which is a word you might still know today. The rabbis began to interpret the law and set up some further regulations so people would know what to do in every circumstance. They gave them additional guidance. I actually brought up a book here. This book is one volume of something that's called the Mishnah. And the Mishnah is what the rabbis put together to make God's law more specific for the ancient Israelites. So if, just to give you one example, when the, when the ancient Old Testament law said to the Israelites, that if you find yourself in a position of ceremonial uncleanness, and we don't have to go into how that happens, but if you get to that place, the way that you become clean again is you have, have kind of a ritual washing, a cleansing. You immerse yourself in water, and you wait a certain amount of time, like till the next day, and then you are ceremonially clean again because of this washing. Well, the Mishnah is where the Israelites would later go to find out, well, how much water do I have to use? You know, is 10 gallons good, 30 gallons good? If you're curious, by the way, it's about 40 gallons is what it turns out to be. And the Mishnah tells you, 
uh, where that water has to come from and how often you have to change it and all that kind of thing. So you may not be interested in knowing that because you don't have to do that, but it's additional guidance beyond what the Israelites found in God's law. But maybe even more important than that in terms of filling out this picture is that the Old Testament itself actually points beyond the law and it looks for something more than that. And the Israelites were waiting for it. Let me give you a couple examples here. This uh, first one comes from the prophet Jeremiah. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn with me if you want. It's Jeremiah chapter 31, and it's quest page 1152. I'm going to read you Jeremiah 31, 31. This is, uh, Jeremiah lived uh, around the year between 600 and 550 B.C., and he was a prophet to God's people. So, you know, 25 plus 100 years ago. And this is what God said through the prophet Jeremiah. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. Israel and Judah were the two halves of of Old Testament Israel. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. It's going to be different than that law I gave them there. Because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So God makes this promise that looks beyond his own law and says, I'll take my law, I'll take my guidance, what I want from you, and I'm going to write it on your hearts. I'm going to put it in your minds. And then there's one more message like this that comes not from the prophet Jeremiah, but from the prophet Ezekiel, who lived at a, at a similar time in the 6th century B.C. And God said to the prophet Ezekiel, I'm, I'll actually give you a new heart, and I'll put my spirit within you to move you and guide you. This is Ezekiel 36, verse 26. It's page 1260 in your Quest Bibles if you want to follow along with this. This is a beautiful promise. God says to the prophet Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart, and I'll put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So God says, I won't just give you this external law. I'm going to put it inside you, give this guidance so you know what to do. And I will give you even a new heart and a new spirit within you, which is important because we don't just need to know what to do. Sometimes we might know what to do and we just don't care. We need God to change us from the inside out to move us to follow his guidance. And these were the things that the prophets of the Old Testament were looking forward to. I start with the prophets because here we are in this part of the Christian year when we're going through the discipline of learning to wait. And I just want to remind you that learning to wait on God doesn't only mean learning how to be patient, right? It means learning to know what to wait for. And here we're reading in the scriptures about learning to wait and look for and expect God's guidance. So this is what the prophets were looking forward to, for God to put his law in their hearts and to guide them by his own spirit. And when Jesus came, this is exactly what Jesus said he was doing and what he showed people that is a fulfillment of this promise. You know, one of the the things that most people found remarkable about Jesus was the way that he taught, was the way that he guided them in God's will. And I just want to give you one example of this. It comes from Matthew chapter 7. It's uh, in your Quest Bibles, page 1422. It comes from the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most famous blocks of teaching that Jesus ever gave when he guided God's people. And this is what Matthew tells us happened at the end of that teaching. It says in Matthew uh, 7, 28, 
When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. And in that sermon, Jesus had guided them even beyond what the law's requirements were. He guided them in the way and the will of God. But Jesus not only taught them, Jesus also gave his disciples and promised to give them the Spirit to continue to guide them, just as the prophets had foretold. So I want to just reread you just a couple of verses from the passage we read in both of our worship venues here today. In John chapter 16, this is how Jesus started there. I have much more to say to you, Jesus said to his disciples. Right, And he had taught them so many things already. There's more that I would like to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. The Bible tells us that God has more things to say into our lives than what is recorded in the Bible. Now that doesn't mean that we should expect that God's going to go start contradicting what he's already told us in the Bible or he's going to undo all that. But we worship the living God who wants to continue to speak to us and have a relationship with us and guide us in our lives. He wants to guide us, not in contradiction of the Bible, but to continue to guide us down that path. And Jesus promised to give us his spirit. So here we are now as people who have been brought from one place to another, who have been brought from one life to another, who have been brought from one story to another, from one destiny to another, to a new set of values and a new imagination, a new set of priorities. And sometimes it can be a little confusing for us how to live in this new place. And the Bible teaches us that we have two things, two things to help guide us. And one is the very spirit of God himself. It is the presence of God to lead and guide us in our lives. Now, I don't know about you, but it, for me, when I stop and think about that, part of me gets scared about that, honestly. Part of me feels like, how am I going to know? That's kind of unreliable. All of us have heard stories about people who've done terrible or ridiculous things and said God told them to do it. I don't want to be that guy. I don't know about you. Now, what's happening, of course, in that person's life is they're not hearing the voice of God usually, but just the echoes inside their own head. But we want to know that we're not going to be in the same place. So even though that's scary... That doesn't make Jesus a liar, right? When Jesus said, I'm going to give you the spirit of truth and lead you into all truth. And so it's important for us not to try to undo that or ignore that, but to learn to listen well to God's guidance and teaching in our lives. And part of what that means is practicing that skill of listening and discernment and seeing what kind of fruit it bears in our lives. And if it does do dangerous and destructive things, it's probably not God. But another thing we need to practice is learn to practice listening to God's guidance in our lives together with other Christians who can hold us accountable and help us discern and test those things. So we listen to the Spirit of God in community with our brothers and sisters in Christ. But maybe the thing that actually makes sense of this is when we hold both these things together, God's given us two things, His Spirit, we also learn and we grow in the skill of listening to God's Spirit together with learning to read the Bible well. Because in the Bible we have the example in the life of Jesus. We don't have the Bible as a law book, right, not as a rule book. That's what God promised his people he was going to go beyond. That's what we left behind. But we have the Bible as a witness to the example, the life, and the teachings of Jesus. And we have the whole story of the Old Testament leads up to that so we understand and make sense of Jesus. And then we have the rest of the New Testament where we see the examples of the apostles and the first Christians who tried to apply the examples and the teachings of Jesus in their lives. And that becomes a model for us as we try to apply the guidance of God in our own lives. We have the spirit of God to guide us, and we have the example and the witness of Jesus, the witness of the scriptures in our lives. It's a fulfillment of what God promised, and yet, aren't you still waiting sometimes? I find that I'm waiting on God's guidance sometimes in my life. 
And there's this great image also from the New Testament that really describes this well, I think. It was an image that was used by the Apostle Paul in a letter that he wrote to the church that was in Corinth. And he said that at this time in our lives, while we're waiting for the return of Jesus, while we're waiting for our faith to become sight, it's as if we see through a glass dimly. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. It's like we see through a glass darkly. That's a, that describes very well for me what it feels like sometimes to be looking for God's guidance in our own individual lives. right? Because it's not that we don't see anything at all. We maybe see a shape out there. We see some contours. We, we, have, a, we have a sense of what God wants from us or for us. Maybe sometimes you feel like it's a pretty good sense. But you, it's hard to make all, all the details sometimes. And what I'd like to do is just finish today by giving you two ideas or, or two applications of what I think and what I've experienced are things that I think can help bring that into a little bit greater clarity as we continue to look through this glass dimly in this age. The first one, I think, is this. If you want to see more clearly, just look more carefully. Think about this just in terms of the image for a little while. This, this can take you a little ways down the road. Think about when you're looking through a, a really smudged up mirror or into a mirror or through a glass or maybe, uh, maybe you're trying to look through the fog or something like that. Sometimes at first you don't see much, but if you just look carefully and patiently, your mind kind of puts it together a little bit, you get a little better glimpse, and you start to see some of the details. I think that can apply to our spiritual lives too. Sometimes looking or listening carefully and patiently over a little bit of time can help. And that can apply to discerning the voice of God in our lives, trying to listen to how God is prompting us and guiding us. It might take a little time sometimes. It takes practice. It, it takes knowing your own personality and what you might even kind of lead yourself into, what you hope God is saying. And with Christian maturity and with time, you begin to sense this a little bit more clearly. And you can do this together with, with other Christians in the practice of living life together, and they help you discern God's guidance in your life. It can apply to the way that we discern God's guiding by His Spirit, but I think it also, it also can apply to the way that we learn to follow God's guidance from the Bible as we learn that over time and look more carefully. I was thinking about my own life experience, looking back a number of years and trying to think about how that works. You know, I think if we don't have regular habits of Bible reading or regular patterns of reading from the story and the teaching of Jesus, I guess it shouldn't be all that surprising if we feel a little confused about how to walk his way, right? I mean, that, that makes sense to me. And if that's something you feel like you want to take a step forward in somehow, I, I think there are some things you can do really simply even this week to take some steps forward there. I mean, for one thing, there is a, a daily Bible reading guide that we put in the study guide in the worship bulletin every week that we gather for worship. Those passages are always connected to what we're learning about on Sunday morning, so you kind of have a springboard to get started on those passages. You can use the ones that are in the community group discussion guide also as a part of your community group, or if you're not in a group yet, you can use that by yourself and hopefully then find a group to use it with. Another thing that I found helpful in my life, and I found out just two weeks ago, Pastor Corey mentioned in one of our staff meetings that a mentor of his years ago had said something similar. He said, you know, whatever else you're doing that feeds your soul, if you like to listen to Christian music or if there are Christian books you like to read or something that nurtures you spiritually, that's all great stuff. But just always also be reading one of the Gospels. Just the life stories of Jesus that Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you just kind of be reading that a chapter a day or whatever, less than that, more than that, whatever works for you. But over the period of not just weeks, but months, and, and maybe even years, as you just take a step-by-step step on that, you let the example and character and teaching of Jesus soak into your life, and it really does begin to help make the guidance of God clearer in our lives. So I think one of the things that, that you can do to try to see a little bit more clearly 
is to, to look a little more carefully, to, to look more patiently. And that can take you a little ways, but there is a limit to that. And maybe, maybe you intuit that already, you've experienced that. That can take you so far. Another thing that you can do when you're trying to look through a, a dirty window or a smudged mirror through the fog, have you ever just tried to change positions? Just try to move a little bit and try to see something from a little bit different angle? The way that I think this applies in our spiritual lives, what this means is that learning or clarity doesn't always come before obedience. Sometimes obedience and action comes before learning and clarity. And I remember the first time somebody told me that, that just scared the heck out of me too, because that's not my personality. I want to know the plan first. But I also have come to understand that sometimes I just got to take one step forward before I can figure out what the next step is supposed to be. And I've experienced that in my life in a number of ways, just a, a lot of ways, really. One, one of them that comes to mind for me is uh, my own experience in learning about giving, generosity, tithing. There were things about that that I had a lot of questions about, was resistant to, didn't understand, until a brother in the Lord kind of helped me through that and one step at a time and just came to understand things by doing that I could not understand before I was doing. I can think about a lot of ways this applies in my life, but I think the biggest one is in the area of prayer. And I think specifically about some of the things that Jesus taught his disciples about prayer. He taught his disciples this prayer that we've come to call the Lord's Prayer. And the more that I have prayed the Lord's Prayer in my life, the more that I come to understand it, the more that it shapes my spirit, and the more it shapes my priorities, it's not something that I could grasp by reading it once and figuring it out. It was a learning by doing. It was a learning by praying kind of thing. But I'll tell you the one that really strikes me on this is what Jesus taught about prayer. In fact, it was right in the Sermon on the Mount that we read part of this morning. When Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, there's no big words in that sentence, right? So you think we can understand that. I thought I understood that much earlier in life. And to a certain extent, you can. But there's a level at which you only get that teaching and know what God wants and is doing in your life once you start doing it. Because once you start doing it, you change. God changes. He converts your heart toward your enemy or the one who is persecuting you or harming you while you do it. Because praying for your enemy, praying is a holy thing. It's a sacred experience, a, a communion with God. You don't come out of that unchanged, you know. And one of the things I've found is I've prayed about people or prayed for people who have hurt me or betrayed me in life is that I start to see them differently once I start praying for them in ways that I simply could not have really understood beforehand. I begin to see them as people. I begin to see the other dimensions of their life other than the dimensions of their life that have hurt me. I begin to see their, maybe their own wounds, maybe their own pains, maybe their own fears. And you know, when someone has hurt you badly, and I bet some of you have been hurt and wronged in life worse than I have. And so I don't pretend to tell you exactly how this is going to work in your life or what God's going to do in your heart as this happens. This could be insanely hard. It could take a really long period of time. And nobody can tell you on the front end what it's going to be because God will simply bring you out at a different place than where you went in, and you don't know. Sometimes in life, you just take one step forward, the only one you've got, and then you're able to see where God's going to lead you from there. You know, I, I just wonder, and I'd invite you to reflect in the Spirit of God this morning, how God might be leading you right now. Do you think maybe God is guiding you specifically on the topic of his guidance? Maybe what God simply is saying to you this morning is to invite you to look and listen carefully about something. Maybe inviting you into uh, a discernment together with some Christian brothers and sisters to invite them into a decision-making process in your life, in your community group or other Christian friends. Maybe God's inviting you or prompting you toward a, a pattern of 
better biblical reading or knowledge in your life so you can be shaped by the, by the values and the story and the teaching of Jesus, just to get clear guidance in your life. Or maybe, and you know, I think a lot of times the challenge of guidance in the Christian life isn't figuring out what God wants from us. Sometimes it's just figuring out how we're going to do it, you know. And so maybe it is that God's prompting you to something in your life and you're kind of hiding behind a rationalization of, I'm not sure what I should do. When in fact, you do know one step. And maybe right now, God's prompting you to go ahead and take that step. And then see where he leads you from there. What I'd like to do is just close this time of reflection on God's word in a moment of prayer together and just pray for God's guidance in our lives and then tell God that we're going to follow it. Let's pray together. Good and gracious God, you are good. We, we worship you, we love you, and we thank you that you have not left us to ourselves. God, I'm even grateful for this time of the year, for this season as we're learning to wait on you. I pray that you'd work in my heart and I pray that you'd work in all of our hearts to teach us how to wait on you and to set our priorities so that we're waiting for the right things, so we're looking forward and expecting what you've promised to give us. And God, I pray specifically that you would be clear with us in the decisions and the forks in the road that we face in our lives, that you would give us clear guidance by the power of your spirit, speak in our hearts, by the power of your word, shape us, God, teach us and mold us over time, conform us to the image of Jesus. And God, even as we pray that you would guide us in our lives, we say, God, we'll go that way. If you've prompted us to something, if you're calling us something, God, we're going to go. We surrender to your power. We surrender to your leading. Lead on, Lord. We follow you. In Jesus' name we pray.